This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. Atonement, reconciliation, the rest was a kind of digression uh, until we get on to this, but it's an important digression because um, having gone from the, the concept of what has not been assumed has not been healed, you know, the Son of God must become a complete and full human being in order for the, the fullness of our humanity to be redeemed. Uh, if Jesus did not have a human soul, then our human soul is not redeemed, etc. You see, I mean, there's got to be a correspondence um, uh, in this way. But when we come then to a later stage, you see, when we come to the Middle Ages, uh, we come to the, the, the work of somebody like Anselm uh, of Canterbury, Anselm, who was a great medieval theologian, and he is concerned to work through in his mind what the implications of this atonement are. You know, what, uh, uh, what do we mean by this? And Anselm realized that to talk about the incarnation, you know, the, the Son of God becoming a, a man, while very important and very central, needed to be developed, it needed to be expounded, you know, and, and get a, a better picture of what this really involves. Uh, and this is what he did. Uh, and it's interesting, you see, because Anselm develops his doctrine of salvation in the context of the Incarnation, because the book that he wrote is called Cur Deus Homo, in other words, why God-man, you know, or as we say, why God became a man, or why did God become a man, uh, which is an incarnational uh, framework. But what he's really talking about is, is sin and disobedience. You see, he fills it in in a slightly different way. Now, one of the, the aspects of this, you see, that you have to uh, remember, uh, this whole discussion is very much a discussion of Western Christianity, that is to say, Latin Christianity, what is now Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism, which fell out, if you like, in the 16th century over this kind of question. All right, the various interpretations and how you were going to read it. Eastern Christianity, that is to say, the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, those people, have not really discussed this in this way. Um, how do we recognize this? Well, we recognize this from festivals, feasts of the church. See, in the Western Church, whether you are Catholic or Protestant, it doesn't matter, Christmas is the most important festival. 
because Christmas is the time when families get together and you know realize why they haven't seen each other for a year. Um, Christmas is the time when uh, you send presents to people, cards, and so on. Uh, I mean, it, it is a big deal. All right. Easter less so. Um, I mean, I couldn't believe when I first came to the United States to teach theology in a Christian university. I was shocked out of my mind to discover that they had classes on Good Friday. I said, "Class on Good Friday." I said, I, "I can't. I'm not teaching on Good Friday." And they said, "Why not?" I said, "Well, it's against my religion." <laughs> and they looked at me and said, "What religion are you?" You know. And I said, "Well, like Christian." I said, "Don't you realize that you know Good Friday is an important day in the Christian calendar? We remember the death of Christ, and I would prefer to go to church and remember the death." Of oh. So sort of looked at me, you know, oh, is that what you do? And, um, you know, it was like a completely strange thing. Whereas Christmas, of course, you know, that's a holiday. That's actually taken off. I mean, we don't have class on Christmas Day. But you can have class on Good Friday. Shocking, isn't it? But there we are. But this is, but this is typical, you see, of the Western tradition. Christmas is somehow more important than Easter in the popular mind. Whereas the Eastern Church, if you, the Orthodox Church, Easter is the big deal. You know, Christmas tends to get, well, it's, it, it exists, but it's, it's, it's a, on a lower level. Um, you know, the Orthodox don't bother with Christmas. I mean, maybe in this country, because of the influence of, of the others, they, they would. But, but you go to Russia or somewhere like that, I mean, Christmas isn't a big deal. Not so much. You know, certainly not compared with New Year. Whereas um, Easter, yes. I mean, Easter is a sacred, you know, the most sacred festival in the Christian year. And this has to do, of course, with the, um, uh, with, the, with the way in which the incarnation and atonement and so on are perceived. Um, you know, that in the Eastern Church, the emphasis is on the resurrection, on the new life. You see the transformation and so on. And in the, in the Western Church, the emphasis is on incarnation. Another uh, way you can tell is just little things, you see. Uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. Well, it's in the Bible. But in, in the Western church, people don't realize this. I mean, when was the last time you heard a sermon on the transfiguration? It's not really stressed. It's there, but people don't quite know what to do with it. But in the Eastern church, Eastern Orthodox Church, um, they name churches after them. I mean, the Church of the Transfiguration, Cathedral of the Transfiguration, you come across this all the time, uh, you know. And if you, if you came across a church with that name, I mean, I at least would assume it was Orthodox. You know, I might discover that it was Catholic or Anglican or something, but, but that would be exceptional. Um, I mean, most of the time, a church of the Transfiguration, oh yes, that's going to be Orthodox, a Greek Orthodox or a Russian Orthodox church. In fact, the Russian army, the, the Imperial Russian army, even had a regiment 
called the, 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 the Regiment of the Transfiguration. You know. Yeah, really. And, and, and you know, that wouldn't happen in the West. You know, you wouldn't name a, a military regiment after something like that. Um, uh, but there you are. Because why? Because the transfiguration to them is the prefiguring of the resurrection. You know, Jesus appears in his glory, the glory that will be ours in the resurrection. You see what I mean? It's all that focused that way, rather than the incarnation, the coming into the, into the world. Uh, so it's an interesting kind of uh, kind of thing. But Anselm, as I say, starts with that the incarnation, but moves on to, to discuss, um, you know, why, why did Christ have to die? I mean, what, what, what's going on here? Why, why is there this need? Uh, and, of course, he says, well, reconciliation to God, uh, you know, the, the, you, the, the, the gap between God and man, the problem, must be taken seriously. See, Anselm was, if you read Anselm, he's very clever. He, 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 he puts his, his argument in the form of a dialogue. And the dialogue is between him and one of his students. And his student is a man called Bozo. Well, it's kind of unfortunate because in the 12th century, 11th century, you could be called Bozo and it was all right, you know. Um, uh, and, and, and now it's kind of not all right anymore to use this, but, but uh, you know, it sounds a bit strange. But, but Bozo, uh, as his name suggests to us, was not terribly bright. And, um, and he's always asking questions, but you see, he's sort of set up to ask a question, which Anselm will then answer. You see, that's the way the, 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 the book reads. It makes it easy to read. Um, but of course, when, when Bozo says, well, you know, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? You know, what does Anselm say? He said, my dear Bozo, you know, he said, you have not yet considered how great the weight of sin is. You see, that's the famous phrase uh, of Anselm. And... It's true, you see, it strikes home because this is the perennial problem that people who have trouble with the atonement, people who have trouble with the cross, people who have trouble with the death of Christ are people who have not yet considered the full weight of sin. You know, they don't appreciate how serious sin is. And I say this with feeling because we live in a day and age where this, is, this problem is particularly acute. Very few people today have any real problem with sin. You know, how many people do you know who run around genuinely burdened with a feeling of being sinful? Um... Of course, everybody will say, well, well, I'm not perfect. People are quite happy to say they're not perfect. But that's not the same thing. 
as being really worried about your sin and what you're going to do about it. Because you just tend to shrug your shoulders and say, well, I'm not perfect, you know, and just carry on uh, as you were before. And this is what most people do. You know, they may not be altogether happy about it, but they figure there's nothing they can do about it, so they might as well just get on and live. It's not driving them crazy or, you know, worried about how we can get away from it or anything like that. And, and generally, in the culture generally, in our modern culture, if the word sin is used at all, it tends to be used in some context like um, calories. You know, chocolate contains a sinful amount of calories. You know, um, and of course this leads to advertising, you know, be sinful, have another piece of cake or something like this. Well, this, of course, but this, of course, is totally trivializing the whole concept of sin. I mean, this is the, and it just shows you that people don't know what sin is. You know, the, 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 the word has dropped out of serious use. I mean, it's still around, but it's, 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 not, it's misused because people don't, don't know what it, what it should mean. And therefore, of course, our job as Christians our first job, has, before we talk about salvation, or as we talk about salvation, we've got to impress on people the, the, their need of it. You know, if people don't need a savior, they're not going to go looking for one. Um, <laughs> you see what I mean? You don't, it's like, you know, your doctor, I mean, you know you have a doctor and he's there and maybe one day you'll go and visit, um, and, and, and so on. Uh, but. Uh, you know, as long as you are, aren't feeling particularly bad, uh, you, you, you don't really see any need to go. You see what I mean? I mean, you may not be against it, but you don't really see why it's so important. Uh, and it's, it's only when, uh, when the need arises and when you're conscious of it that you actually start taking it seriously. Um, and so this is, this is the issue. This is what we're faced with uh, when it comes to sin. And Anselm realized this, I mean, with, with Bozo, you know, he said that this is it, you know, you've got to realize how, how deep your sin is. And the, the root of sin, the heart of sin, is disobedience. Disobedience, because for Anselm, to disobey God is not merely to cut yourself off from God. I mean, obviously it is that. But it's something else. It is to offend God. And this is actually very important because it adds a dimension, you see, that wasn't necessarily obvious before. Because if you break a connection, you know, let's say you pull the plug from a machine or something like that, you break the connection, but you aren't offending the electricity company when you do this. I mean, there isn't this element of, you know, causing offense. Whereas Anselm, when he says this, he said, you know, it's not just that you've broken your link with God, you have offended him. The concept of offense introduces personal relationship. You know, you have a personal relationship with God. By breaking that relationship, you have caused offense to God. God is not indifferent to what you do. 
he cares about what you do. All right? And because, and I mentioned this the other day, but we'll get this clearer now. Because God cares about you and he cares about what you do, he has to take this seriously. If you break your connection with God, if you cut yourself off from God, what you are doing is cutting yourself off from the source of your life. God is the source of your life. You are therefore embracing death. And the Bible says this, Romans chapter 5, you know, because one man sinned, death came into the world. You know, and so everybody sinned. So death is the fruit of sin. Sin leads to death. Therefore, in order to get to the root of sin, in order to deal with sin, God has to deal with death. that to pay the price of sin, you see, how is, how is sin going to be, to be dealt with? How is sin going to be reconciled, be atoned for? Well, the, you and I, I mean, I can die for my sins. I mean, I deserve to die for my sins. All right, I can do that. The trouble is, if I die for my sins, that's the end of the story. I'm just dead. I paid the price, but I can't do any more. I mean, I can't, there's no, rec there's no reconciliation. There's no, there's no new life. Why not? Because I haven't got life. You see, for me to die for my sin is just, is just to, to realize, to bring into reality, that is, what is true already. I mean, okay, I run around now, I, I breathe, I, you know, I appear to be alive. But actually, in spiritual terms, I'm dead because I'm a sinner. And so if I fall over and die, I'm just, you know, bringing to completion, bringing to, to fulfillment what is true anyway. You know, and that's fine. I mean, and if everybody just dies, uh, well, that's it. You know, you get rid of sin like this. I mean, it's a bit like getting rid of, say, I don't, I don't like to mention Ebola, because everybody mentions it. I mean, it's the in thing to talk about now, isn't it? But, but some disease like that, you see, if, it, it, let's take the flu, because that's much more sort of rampant. I mean, you can, in fact, cure flu by killing everybody who's got it. You know, that's one way of getting rid of flu. But... Although you get rid of it, it's hardly the cure. You see what I mean? It's not, it's not really the sort of cure you want because it just ends everything. And, and Anselm says to Bozo, well, this is what would happen. You see, if everybody, if everybody did the, the right thing, I mean, if there was justice in the world, then everybody would die for their sin, and that would cure sin because everybody would be dead. But this is hardly you know what God wants. I mean, it's not, it's, you know, the, it's not reconciliation. It's not new life. So somehow or other, says Anselm, you've got to have death. You've got to pay for, I mean, sin cannot be ignored because God is offended by it. 
you know, it, it insults God. God must be placated in some way for this because it's, it's, you know, it's a reality. You can't just ignore this. But on the other hand, you can't kill everybody for it either because then they'd all be dead. You know, the, 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 the cure would be worse than the disease, if you like. So what do you do? Well, the only answer is you have to have somebody who can die to pay the price of sin, who can actually die as sin requires, as the offended God, as the justice of God requires, but who cannot be killed by death, if that makes any sense, you see, uh, who has within himself the power to overcome death. This is only possible, of course, if God, who is the source of life, comes into the world as a man, suffers and dies as a man to pay the price of sin, but then gives life to the, to the dead body, the mortal body, brings the mortal body back to life because he is also God. You see, because he has the, the life-giving power within him, he can give life. And this is what has happened. This is the atonement. This is, this is the coming back into the world of, of, of Christ. How is this applied to us? Because I cannot come back to life. I mean, I can die, but I haven't got life in me to bring me back to life. And of course, Anselm says, no, well, you can't. But this is applied to you and me in the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Lord, the giver of life, as the Nicene Creed says. Why is the Holy Spirit the giver of life? The Holy Spirit is the giver of life because he's giving Christ's life to, to dead sinners. You see, he's applying the atoning work of Christ. What Christ has paid, the price he has paid, the death which he has paid, is uh, extended to you and me. We don't actually die in the way that he died, you know, not on the cross, and we, we're not crucified in that sense. But we share in his death by baptism, by communion and so on. I mean, this is a sharing, this is a participation in the death of Christ so that we can have new life in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to give us new life. That's the point uh, of it, you see. And so we get the, the new life of Christ, the new life of God in our lives, in and through the Holy Spirit, because we haven't got it in ourselves as Jesus did. He had it in himself, but we don't, all right? So that's the, the difference, but also the, um, uh, the, the similarities. Now, in trying to work this out, you know, how does it actually function? Anselm came up with a theory which we today would call the satisfaction theory. And what this means, and this is where Anselm's doctrine is a bit, you know, questionable, but nevertheless we have to understand it. Anselm believed that when Christ died to pay the price of sin, 
He took the sins of the entire world on himself. In other words, he paid the price for every human sin. All right? There is no sin which he did not pay the price for. This is extremely important because you cannot say to God, uh, well, Lord, thank you very much for your offer of salvation, but I really can't take it up because it doesn't apply to me. I have sinned much more uh, than uh, you have forgiven. Uh, and so uh, even though you might try to apply your forgiveness to me, it's not going to work. Now, I've caricatured that slightly, but there are people who think that way, you know, who think that they're so bad that, you know, God can't possibly forgive them. All right? Um, and, uh, and you can't say that because, as Anselm says, you know, Christ has paid the price for every sin. Now, it's true, and somebody is going to say, well, what about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven, says Jesus. Well, all right, whatever you think of that, we won't go into that right now, but the difference is what Jesus says is not that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. What he says is the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. In other words, it is God's decision not to forgive it, not some inadequacy in the death of Christ, which makes it impossible to forgive it. You see, and, and, and we, we mustn't say that. We mustn't, there's no defect in Christ's atoning sacrifice. It is applicable in principle to every sin. Okay? All right. How does it work in practice? How, does, how is it applied? Well, when Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, um, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. In other words, he took the price of sin. He took his atoning sacrifice into heaven. And seated at the right hand of God, he pleads for us with the Father. You know, his wounds plead for our salvation. When God the, God the Father looks at us and sees in us sinners who deserve death, uh, he then looks at the Son, and the Son shows his, wound, his hands and his side, and he said, Father, I have paid the price. Forgive them because I have uh, died for them. See, that's the, the idea. Well, all right. How do you get access to that? How does this work for you and me? Well, of course, it works in and through the sacramental life of the church, in and through the, the ministry of the church, which is there for that purpose. That uh, the, uh, the saving grace of Christ, the, the blood of Christ, there's so much of it stored up in heaven. There's enough to cover every human sin. And when we sin, we need to draw on this inheritance. It's like having money in the bank, you know. And when you need the money, you put your card in the ATM and, uh, and out comes the money to pay for whatever, uh, you know, you need to pay for. Well, Anselm sees sin like this. Uh, you know that when you sin, you go to the church, you confess, the button is pushed, 
uh, you know, the, the, the right amount of grace comes out uh, in order to uh, forgive you or you know, pay for that particular sin. Uh, and so then, you, you know, you're, you're back in credit with God and you go on to the next time and you, the, the process repeats itself, right? Again, I am simplifying and caricaturing a little bit, but it's so that you understand what's going on. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.